Well, we are over in the book of Judges, chapter 14, continuing on in the next judge, which is Samson. Last week we were looking at his uh, upbringing, how his, uh, how his parents looked at him. They saw him as this special child and they needed something, a special way to raise him up and all. Saw that the Spirit of God produces anointing, but it's the Word of God that produces character. And that we need to have both. You need to have character and you need to have anointing. Anointing is bestowed upon us, but character is built within us. And we continue to have that built as we continue to get into the Word of God. The more anointing, the more character you need. The more needs to be built up. Don't ever relax on building up the character that comes from the Word of God. Well, over here... We saw the uh, aspects of the Nazarite vow. just want to review those for you because we're going to see them come up again. Uh, that the Nazarite was, first off, to not drink the fruit of the vine, to not touch any dead thing, and to not cut your hair. Most people volunteered for this. Samson was commanded to do so. But most people just volunteered for it. Samson was commanded to do so all his life. Most people volunteered for it for a period of time. Now, we're going to see some things about Samson. Samson has a different view of righteousness than what we're supposed to have and what most people should get from coming into the, or getting into the Word of God. To Samson, righteousness is in what you don't do. Too many times we see people that go around and look at what they haven't done, and that's why they are righteous or going to heaven. If you talk to the person on the street, do you think you're going to heaven? Well, I didn't kill anybody. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't rob a bank. And they'll list the things that they haven't done yet. Yeah, yeah, that may be part of it. <laughs> I may be planning to down the road or, or whatever. But for right now, I haven't done these things, so I'm okay. And this is what righteousness is to a lot of people, is the things that we haven't done, the things we don't do. And this is how it is to Samson. Very weak view of righteousness. Not a biblical view of righteousness, a very weak view of righteousness. And it's really one that comes from the flesh. It's not one that comes from the spirit. He had, not, he had nothing to pursue. He just had things to get away from. He saw, well, I'm not supposed to do this, and I'm not supposed to do that, and I'm not supposed to do this. And so there are just things he's supposed to stay away from or get away from. There weren't things he was supposed to pursue and go after. The God, the God is about getting us to pursue after things. Not just to stay out of areas. He wants us to pursue stuff. And that's what you got to get into with, with God. What does he want you to pursue? Samson had no relationship with God and only came to God when he was in trouble. And you can count those times on one hand with fingers left over. He had no relationship with God and only came to God when he was in trouble. Christianity is about building up a relationship with God. Samson was devoid of that, and that's how he came out with a lot of these things. So verse 1, Now Samson went down to Timnah and saw a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. So he went up and told his father and mother, saying, I have seen a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. Now, therefore, get her for me as wife. <laughs> I don't know if your kids talk to you this way, what would you be doing? <laughs> yeah, you go out there and you get her for me as wife. Uh-huh. You can see, though, that their viewpoint of raising a special child had become warped. It had become 
altered. You're not supposed to raise children this way. And that's what they did. And so, you know, they may have slapped his hand or, you know, now don't do that. You know, I always laugh at them people that buy them big dogs. And then you watch them when they're dealing with the big dog. Now stop that. <laughs> I mean, that dog just laughs at them. <laughs> when we used to, uh, when we were getting into dogs in some of the training classes we have, they said, you know, the, the, the dog does not want to lead. But if no one else will, he or she will. They don't want to. But if there's no one else to lead, they will do it. And so what you have to do is that you cannot deal with a dog the way you do with kids. A lot of times people are dealing with the dogs like they would with their kids or sometimes even nicer. And so when you, especially if you have a big dog, you got to be willing to do big dog things. You know, you got to, you got to scare the fire out of a dog sometimes. If you ever watch, you know, movies, some of the National Geographic things, and you watch the wolves to get, interact together, or those dogs that are over in Australia, the, the, what do they call those, the, the dingoes, guys like that, and you watch them deal with each other. They're not nice. They're biting at each other. They're snapping at each other. They're, they're, they're putting each other in their place is what they're doing. There's an alpha dog, as we all know, and, and then the other ones just kind of get in line underneath of that until a new alpha dog comes up. And the dog at home is looking for the alpha dog. And if you won't be the alpha dog, then it will. So what you have to do is you have to act like an alpha dog to your dog in order to take charge over it. And so that's what you, you kind of need to do. And sometimes it's not always nice. I sometimes took my dog, big dog, and picked her up off the ground. Got both hands underneath her shoulders because, you know, they're not going to hurt her that way. And just raised her right on up. And that dog was scared. Wasn't in any danger, but the dog was scared. Doesn't like to be in a place like that. Doesn't like to be off the ground. That's not a good place. And so, um, you know, we, she knew who the top dog was. And if she ever forgot, we reminded her who the top dog was. And uh, because of that, we had a great relationship. She didn't want to be the top dog. But if I wouldn't take that position... She would have. And so you got to do that. How many of y'all know people that they have not taken the top dog position with their dog at home? It's real easy to see. <laughs> and it's a, it's a bad, bad thing. But anyway, mom and dad have not taken the uh, parenting position. They have allowed the child to become the parent. And so he says, I found a woman. I want her to be my wife. Go get her. Fetch. <laughs> Go get her for me. Now his father and mother said to him, Is there no woman among the daughters of your brethren or among all my people that you must go and get a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? And Samson said to his father, Get her for me, for she pleases me well. <laughs> well, I mean, at least they, they said something to him about it, right? <laughs> no, 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 you go get her for me. But his father and mother did not know that it was from the Lord and that he was seeking an occasion to move against the Philistines, for at that time the Philistines had dominion over Israel. Now, Samson found the Philistine woman more appealing than the Jewish woman. There's a reason for that. First off, it was their dress. Philistine women dressed differently from Israelite women. They wore things that Israelite women wouldn't wear. And uh, that appealed to Samson. Uh, their actions. Well, Philistine women would do things that the Israelite women would not do. And that was not too, uh, too good for them. Uh, their morals. 
they had a different set of morals than, uh, than, than they would do. So there's just some things that, well, he just wasn't too <laughs> pleased about. You know, they, they dressed better. They, uh, they dressed more, I guess, probably revealing. <laughs> they, uh, they did things that the uh, Israelite woman wouldn't do. Their morals were corrupt. Um, you know, they would party. I mean, you can go on. You can just keep on. They would go to parties that the Israelite woman wouldn't go to. They'd go to bars that the Israelite women wouldn't go to. <laughs> Uh, you know, nightclubs. The Israelite women won't go to nightclubs, and these gals don't go to nightclubs. You know, there's just a whole lot of things that they, they would do, that, and so they became more appealing. Now, what part of uh, Samson are they appealing to? His flesh, not his spirit. So the Jewish girls, they don't act or look the same as the Philistine woman. To Samson, Jehovah is always saying, no, no, no. To Samson, the Philistine, Philistine gods say, anything goes. Because in the, if you studied the Philistine gods, they were uh, very corrupt morally in their worship practices and the things that they would do. Verse 4 again, But his father and mother did not know that it was of the Lord, that he was seeking an occasion to move against the Philistines. Now, we've got to look at this and we say, oh, hold on a minute. Now, wait a minute. We talk about of the Lord. What do you mean? Well, first off, we know that God does not set aside his law in order to facilitate anything. Samson is not following after his spirit. It is not like the spirit of God came down and witnessed to Samson. Samson, I need you to take one for the team and I need you to go after one of the Philistine women. Really? You know, I don't want to do that. You know, that's, uh, can I find a nice Jewish girl around here? No, then Samson, I really need... That's not the kind of conversation that went on. Samson is not consulting God on this at all. When it says that it's of God, what, it, uh, what I think it's really saying is Samson had his heart set, I'm going to get me a Philistine woman. And God said, all right, well, I'm going to take this and use it against the Philistines, but that's not really what I had in mind. Now, you can look at it differently, but my views are more consistent with the rest of Scripture. <laughs> and always interpret Scripture in light of Scripture. Don't just interpret Scripture in light of whatever you see right there or, or whatever. God is not in people doing things that He's, he's not uh, telling them to do. If He says, don't marry Philistine women, He means don't marry Philistine women. There's a reason for it. Now, you can look at this and understand that God is not against interracial marriages. God has never been against interracial marriages. But, of course, people will take a look at this and just look at the, well, they're Philistines, we're Israelites, so God's against the, the two races mixing. That's not it at all. Because if you look at the lineage of Jesus, we got a lot of different. He had uh, Rahab, who was a Canaanite. She got in. We got a Moabitess, that was a cursed generation. She got in. The lineage of Jesus. There's, these are foreign people who got in the lineage, and not only so, but they were mentioned over some males. To the Jewish people, was the male that was the most important in the family tree, in the family history. But we got a couple of women showing up there, and most of them are foreign. God is not against that kind of a thing. He's not against interracial marriages. Of course, we know the first interracial marriage that we have recorded in the Word of God was Moses. He was the first one with that, and God was okay with it. And that was his second marriage. 
All kinds of problems with that one, huh? But it's not... Um, God is not against that, that kind of thing. He's not against interracial marriage. What he's against is Christian and non-Christian. We cannot mix that. You can get a, a, a wife from or a husband from any race of people that you want to. Just make sure they're born again. <laughs> if they're not born again, you're going to have a heap big trouble. <laughs> it's going to be a problem. And that's what he's more uh, against. He's not against all, the, all this other thing. But of course, as soon as that happens, as soon as you know, well, you're... You know, if you had people that were, there was a racial issue there, the different races, and they were thinking about getting married, and somebody came up and they had a problem with it, well, I don't know if you ought to be getting married. Oh, you're just hung up because of the race. No, she's not saved. She's not born again. And you could bring it back to that all the time, but what are they always going to go back to? They're always going to go back to race. We see that all the time here. Anybody who disagrees with this president is going against his race. I've gone against things that other presidents have done in line with what this president does, and race wasn't an issue. I'm against a whole lot of things that this president is doing. But it's not because of his race, and I can give you a thousand reasons for it. But as soon as you, you start pointing at that, what do people say? Well, it's the race. No, it's not. What you did was wrong. What you, who you want to marry is wrong. You can't do that. It's against the Word of God. But you see, we, we hide behind these other excuses because we don't want to see. And people go into this kind of thing. They, they look at that. It's not that. Make sure. You know, I heard one person, we were just listening to somebody this morning, and, uh, and he was talking about how he married wrong. Um, Ed Dufresne. How many of you know Ed Dufresne? Ed Dufresne um, married wrong, apparently. and got uh, She left him, and he got remarried. Married right that time. <laughs> But he got into a little bit of the story. I'm not going to get into all the, the story. Really? You never heard of Ed Dufresne? Wow. I heard all kinds of stuff about it for years. Um, I don't always hear him, but he uh, was at somebody else's church, and I had their podcast, and uh, Tony Cook was at their church, and so we downloaded Tony Cook's podcast, and then found some other stuff, and we played them, and that sounds like Ed Dufresne. <laughs> he and his wife were both there. They were both teaching, so we got to, to listen to them. They preach a long time, hour and a half per. <laughs> a lot of stories. A lot of stories, but it was good. We enjoyed that, but I never knew he was divorced. But he apparently married. He said out of his own mouth, he said, I married wrong. I didn't listen to God on it. And got himself into, into some trouble with that. Don't marry wrong. Make sure you marry right. Marry the right person. Doesn't matter the, uh, what color the skin is, where they came from, what country they were born in, nothing like that. What matters is, do they serve God? And for our boy here, <laughs> that's not an issue. He's thinking, what does she look like? What does she wear? Where does she go? What does she do? <laughs> that's not what God looks at. So anyway, we got, um, we got Samson out here, and he is flirting with an idolatrous woman. He is flirting with an idolatrous woman. And we call this flirting with disaster because we're going to see that Samson does a whole lot of flirting. How many know people can flirt with each other? And you can get yourself in trouble with that? But he, he's here. He's flirting with disaster. <laughs> You'll see why as we get through these, uh, these verses here. Verse 5, So Samson went down to Timnah with his father and mother and came to the vineyards of Timnah. Now to his surprise, well, we'll get to that in a minute. Came to where? The vineyards. What is it he's supposed to stay away from? He's not supposed to drink the fruit of the wine. He's not supposed to touch any deadly thing, and he's supposed to not cut his hair. Now, I didn't say anything in there about Philistine women. 
in the Nazarite vow. But of course, that's what everybody's supposed to be living up to, and <laughs> he's just not going to do that. So if you have a vow that you're not supposed to drink wine, why are you in the vineyard? Of all the places you can go, why do you stop there? Because flirting with disaster. And he's just flirting around there. It's a, you know, people do this even today. There's a lot of Christians who just kind of flirt around the unsaved. Unsaved man, unsaved woman, you just kind of hang around there because, you know, they, they get a certain uh, stimulus to their flesh or whatever it might be. I mean, hang around unsaved people. Get your opportunity to minister to them and, uh, and talk to them. It's, a, it's an okay thing to do. But don't, don't make that be your close fellowship. That's not where your close fellowship is going. You're supposed to go to influence them. Don't let them become influencers of you. So he went down to the vineyards in Timnah. Put in your outline, don't do what sinners do to minister to them. You will not be able to minister to people that are in sin if you do the sin that they do. You want to get around unsaved people and they cuss up a storm and you think, well, I guess I need to be able to relate to them, so I better be cussing up a storm too. <laughs> nope. You don't need to do it. Stay out of that. Well, uh, I look at how these sinners are dressed and I don't quite dress that way. Maybe I better dress like the sinners do so that they don't feel uncomfortable or that they'll relate to me or whatever. I guess I better watch. I guess I better read. I guess I better buy. I guess I better drink or smoke. Or do as they do. No. Be different. Be who you are. Don't do, don't do what sinners do to minister to them. I tell you, that's a lie from the pit of hell. Well, if you're going to minister to them, you be, they better be able to relate to you. Mm-hmm. They better see a difference. So have some character. Let that word build that character on the inside of you. We want to make sinners comfortable. But are we reaching out to them or compromising our godly values? Jesus always had sinners, they were, they were comfortable around him, but he never compromised anything. Amen. He never changed anything. But sinners were, were comfortable around him. They were okay around him. They didn't feel like they had to change anything or, 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 or do anything until they got saved or convicted. And Jesus didn't point out, now, you know, just when I'm here, just stop that. <laughs> he didn't do it. He, he just kept being who Jesus was and they kept being who they were until the word of God sank in on them and they changed now, as we said, Samson runs the home. This is uh, the way it has been. He's learned it. Verse 6. Well, we didn't finish up verse 5. Now, to his surprise, a young lion came roaring against him. That would surprise anybody, wouldn't you? <laughs> you know why you got to put that in there? To his surprise, a lion comes roaring out against him. How many remember somebody else that uh, took on a lion barehanded? David. Now, here's a big difference between the two. David killed the lion because it came after David? It came after the sheep. Samson's killing the lion because it's coming after Samson. That's a difference. David used the anointing that was on him to protect those that were under him, the sheep. Samson uses the anointing that's on him to protect himself. This is not the first time. It's not the only time. So Samson, oh, we already read that one. Then the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him and he tore the lion apart as one would have torn apart a young goat. I'm not sure how that's easier. But I, I've never really tried to tear apart a young goat. <laughs> Maybe I should go out and try it sometime and see if it's any easier. 
<laughs> I don't know. Maybe the fact that it's young doesn't have a whole lot of muscles. <laughs> I'm thinking there's other things they're related to than as one would tear apart a young goat. Why would you do that? <laughs> you know, usually we say, oh, that's as easy as and you, you say something that you normally do, right? Just as easy as calling somebody on the phone. That's easy. I can relate to that. But he tore apart the young the lion apart as one would have torn apart a young goat. I'm not sure why one would do that. Maybe young goats make people mad. Maybe they do bad things and you go over and tear them up. I don't know. <laughs> but anyway, that's what we're related to. Tearing apart a young goat. Though he had nothing in his hand. Now, is that important? It surely is. Because one of the things that's part of the Nazarite vow is... Don't touch anything that is dead. Now, the lion, when it came after him, was not dead. But when he was finished with it, what was it? Dead. So he touched a dead thing with his hands. Now, if you think that's pushing it, we'll, we'll get on further down here and we'll see. But um, it said right there, he had nothing in his hand. Then he went down and talked with the woman, and she pleased Samson well. Well, we just finished that up. I don't know. I'm... My view of Samson is he went on down to the young woman. Guess what I just did? <laughs> I just killed a lion. My, pa- my parents. But tell them, mom and dad. I just think that's the kind of guy Samson is. Trying to in- impress the gal. And so the woman, he talked with the woman and she pleased Samson well. I'm sure that they talked about the Lord and about the word. And about the calling that's on their lives and how she could uh, fit in with that. I'm sure that they talked about all those kind of things, right? Then he went down and talked with the woman and she pleased Samson well. After some time, when he returned to get her, he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion. So they made the deal, made whatever, you know, need mom and dad to get in on the deal. They made the deal, whatever the thing would be. Mom and dad had to give up something for for the lady. And so he was coming on back to get her. He turned aside to see the carcass of the lion. And behold, a swarm of bees and honey were in the carcass of the lion. I don't know why a swarm of bees would make a home in a... not really sure why that would do it. Because we've seen a whole lot of deer on the side of the road. I've never seen a hive of a, a beehive get in there. But, yeah, bugs I understand, but bees? And uh, they've already made some honey. So there's a swarm of bees and honey. We're in the carcass of the lion. I, I don't know about you, but I have a respect for bees. And if I see bees swarming around a carcass... Of a lion, I'm not going after them. I'll leave them bees alone. They got their honey. Now there's some people that do this for a living. They're beekeepers and and they know what they're doing. They'll get in there and they'll mess with the thing, get the honey out, and not get stung and all that sort of stuff. But I'm no beekeeper. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I'm smart enough to know stay away because they can hurt you. You get them all going, and boy, I'll tell you what, I won't be. I'm not sure what the limit is, but there is a limit on how many stings you can take as a person. Before it uh, has a very negative effect upon your life. <laughs> and you can die. So he took some of it in his hands and went along eating. Nothing is said about the bees. Why is it that the bees don't protect the honey and sting this guy? I don't know. Was there something that came on with the anointing on him? or I, I don't know what it was. I have no answer for it. The Word of God doesn't tell us. And he took some of it in his hands and went along eating. And when he came to his father and mother, he gave some to them, and they also ate. 
But he did not tell them that he had taken the honey out of the carcass of the lion. Now, he didn't tell them because he, he's pushing, he's flirting with disaster. He's pushing the envelope here. He knows that he shouldn't be marrying a Philistine woman or hanging out with them or going to the places where they go. But we're going there. We know that we're supposed to stay away from wine, but we're hanging out in the vineyards. And we know we're not supposed to touch dead things, but, you know, I just killed that lion and I still have the anointing on me. So I guess it's not so bad. I didn't have anything in my hand. I just killed him with my bare hands. So I touched the dead lion then and I'm still anointed. So he's flirting with this thing and he's, he's like, well, I pushed it this far. I guess I can push it a little bit further. So he goes up to the carcass. If he thought he was bordering on maybe breaking his Nazarite vow before, he now is shattering it. Because this thing has been dead long enough that bees have come and made honey. That's how, how much of a carcass this thing is. So he goes in there and he touch, he, he reaches in and he gets the honey. There's no way I don't think that you can get the honey without touching the carcass. I think you have to somehow touch that carcass to, to get that to happen. And the honey, of course, was touching the carcass of that, which makes any, any person who touched something that was dead became, in the Old Testament, unclean. Now, if you became unclean, there were certain people you were not allowed to touch. There were certain places you were not allowed to go and certain things you were not allowed to do if you were unclean. If you did them, then you brought other people into that problem or you uh, you know, messed up yourself or brought things on yourself. It's just not something to do. But now his parents are unclean because of what Samson did, but Samson didn't tell them. That's a terrible position to put his parents in. But that's what he did. He didn't tell them. He knew what was wrong. That's why it says he didn't tell them. You know, I can't tell them this. If I tell them where it came from, then other people are going to know I broke my Nazarite vow. Right now, I'm the only one who knows. You know, as long as I'm the only one who knows, it's not so bad. But if other people begin to know that I broke that Nazarite vow, I don't know how that'll be. He did not tell them. He took it out of the carcass of a lion. I think he feels like he got away with something with God. I think he feels like, well, I guess I'm pretty important. My parents have been treating me in such a way all my life that I feel like I'm pretty special. I'm pretty important. I'm anointed. I was announced by the angel of the Lord. God himself came down twice just to let my parents know I was coming. I am special. I am so special that I can even break the Nazarite vow and God still honors the anointing that's on my life. Boy, God must need me. That is a dangerous position to be in. But this is what he is getting himself into. This is the kind of thinking he's, he's beginning to have. And I'll tell you what, we've got to be careful in this kind of thing. You cannot be thinking this way. So first off, he violates it once, got away with that. Then he again, he violates it more vividly. Then he brings other people into it. It's not hurting me any. I'm a Nazarite. I was able to touch the carcass. I bet it's okay for my mom and dad too, too. What they don't know won't hurt them. <laughs> and they go on over there and, and they, uh, they do that. Now, I'll tell you what. There's some, there are some things, you know, uh, that we can get into. I just love the getting underneath the teaching anointing and doing some study. Because when you get underneath that teaching anointing and do some study, you, you find out things you wouldn't know otherwise. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, know we've had, I know you ladies have had some fun discussions in the uh, breakfast that you all have about favor. 
And my wife had and I, we've had some good discussions about it at, at home as well. And we've been on the same page with, with these things. But, you know, we've been trying to, we've been going about ourselves, the difference between mercy and grace and favor. And to some people, grace and favor are the same thing. They are not. I knew that before. They are not the same thing. If they were the same thing, there wouldn't be two different words for it. They are different things. But there's mercy, there is grace, and there is favor. And so I'm sitting there writing some of these things down, just going over some of the stuff for t- tonight, and this dropped in on me. Mer- you have to write this in because it's not in your outline. <laughs> mercy is not receiving what you deserve. That's mercy. I am not receiving what I deserve, what should come upon me. When we sin and we get the mercy of God, I should get this penalty, but God has had mercy on me and I am not getting what I deserve. Grace is receiving what you don't deserve. Grace is receiving what you don't deserve. Mercy, not receiving what you deserve. Grace, receiving what you don't deserve. That's great. That's a pretty obvious difference right there, isn't it? By grace, we get things that I don't deserve them, but I receive them. Grace is about receiving. Mercy is about not receiving. (laughs) I'm not receiving what I deserve. Grace is about receiving. So I think right there, if you want to find out is something mercy or something grace, did you get it or did you not? (laughs) If you didn't get it, Mercy. If you got it, grace. So that's real easy to tell about that one, isn't it? I thought that one was pretty easy. But then there's favor. How does favor differ from grace? Obviously, they're different. The grace of God is available for everyone. Favor is not. So there has to be a difference right there, doesn't there? Because we can't all... We can't all receive things that are favored or else it's not favored. It's just everybody. Grace is for everybody. There's no favor with it because it's for everybody. But favor's not. You cannot have a favorite if you like them all. Right? You can't have a favorite if you like... If you have ice cream and you like every kind of ice cream out there, then... They're not your favorite. I like them all. I don't know about you, but I don't like them all. Anything with coffee in it is not on my list of things that I will receive. It's not on my grace list. We'll put it that way. (laughs) I do not want it on my mercy list. I will not receive that. (laughs) Anything with coffee in it. Now, some things with chocolate in it, I'm okay with most of the time. I I I like chocolate. I don't love chocolate, but I like chocolate. But my favorite is vanilla. Oh, do I love vanilla. Oh, man. Give me a bowl of vanilla ice cream and pretty much anything, almost anything, in vanilla ice cream tastes good. Chocolate, eh. But vanilla, oh. Yeah. Now, you go in our family and we are split. Half of us really, really, really like vanilla and half of us really, really, really like chocolate. It's split evenly in there. So when we go into the grocery store and we buy ice cream, we get half chocolate. No, I mean, we get a whole half gallon, that's chocolate, and it might be some kind of you know, chocolate brownie or double fudge, whatever. And then the other one is vanilla something. 
You know, Heath Bar vanilla ice cream. Oh, man, that is good. Caramel, pralines and cream, stuff like that. You know, oh, I love those kind of things. They are, they are good. But in order for, you know, there, there's a favorite thing that I have out there. How many of y'all have a favorite candy bar? We have a fa- if you go to the store, if you go to the store, what is the one that you would get over all the others? Peanut chews. For me, it's the Scores Bar. Heath Bar is, is like 1A, but Scores Bar just a slightly, has a, just a slight edge. Oh, I love a Scores Bar. Oh, that English toffee and chocolate over top. Oh, man, is it good. Mm-mm-mm. That's mine. Now, you know, my wife has a different one. She does not, that is not her favorite one. But it's mine. Now, that doesn't mean that I don't like any others. There's other ones that I like, and sometimes I might even feel like them a little bit more than, than the, but not often. Usually, you know, I walk in to score bars on sale, I'm buying some. I don't even know if I want any right now, but I want them later. <laughs> we got to have some, but you see, a favorite, favorite one or a favored one is something that stands above. There has to be something in it that causes it to be favored. Now, if in ice cream, I was just from what I've described here right now, in ice cream, what causes a flavor of ice cream to be set apart for me? It's real simple. Vanilla. Right? I already told you that. I already told you that my favorite ice cream has to do with vanilla. Your favorite ice cream might have to do with chocolate. My daughter's favorite ice cream is mint chocolate chip. I'm with you on that. I do not like mint chocolate chip. She loves mint chocolate chip. I'm not a favor. That's not something that I... I am with you. Anything with mint in it. I'm, just not, I'm not a mint fan. That's okay at times, but... You know, it's just... Uh, that's just not what I, what I want to do. But, oh, she, she likes that. So, you know, each one we have our... What's in that? It's pistachio, right? Yeah, that's it. We know what it is. This is what qualifies the ice cream to be my favorite. For each of us, it's something different. But in order to have a favored status, there must be qualities about it that distinguish it from all others. Grace does not distinguish between one or the other. Grace is available to all. For by grace have you been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is the free gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should perish. It's available to all. It's here for everybody. But here, if we're going to have favored status, then I have to know what's there. If you want to make a bowl of ice cream, move into my favored status. It must first off include vanilla. Another good quality in ice cream for me is caramel. Don't put that messy chocolate syrup on the, on the thing. That just messes up the ice cream for as far as I'm concerned. That's awful. It, it just, I don't like chocolate. If I walk into a place, if all they have is that chocolate syrup to put on top of your ice cream, I will go without it. If it's caramel, I'll do caramel. I'll even do butterscotch, but I will not do chocolate. Don't put you know, Caramel's my favorite. I'll tolerate butterscotch if I want something on it, but there's one place around here we used to go and they had butterscotch and they have caramel. Yeah, it's all right, but... So no, 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 no. No, so 
And now, there's, if you want to, some other things you can put on there to make that ice cream elevated for me into favorite status. Nuts. Heath bars. Scores bars. Something like that. Put that stuff on there. Oh, yeah, that's good. That's good. You know, when I got, we were talking about blizzards, I think, on Sunday. If I go over to the Dairy Queen on occasions that I do, you can almost pick out exactly what blizzard I get. Heath Bar Blizzard. Blizzard. Oh, yeah. that's a, If I go in there, I look over the menu. Every time I look, I don't know why. I look over the menu. What do I want? <laughs> I'm looking it over. No, nah, just give me a Heath Bar. A vanilla ice cream Heath Bar. And I just, I, I just, I've tried other ones. And they just, I come out, ah, it's not as good. It's not as good. That's the, that's the one. So there are certain things that you like. And if, you, or if they're included, it raises it to... Favored status. If you put coffee, anything on my ice cream, guess what? Mm, not <laughs> <laughs> oh, get it away. Get it away. So what we have to do, if we want to get ourselves elevated out of the grace area, is we have to know what he likes. Amen. <laughs> grace is available to all, but favor is not. Favor is available to those who qualify. Grace, there's no qualification. Grace, here it is. Take it. But favored status, you've got to qualify for that. Ice cream, for me, has to qualify. I'll look it over. Is it vanilla? Is it Briar's vanilla? Because, you know, that is the best vanilla ice cream out there. Oh, you know, you know that one. Yes, there is nothing better. <laughs> oh, man. I mean, there's all kinds of good vanillas, but Briars is like the best vanilla bean. Oh, that is so good. Oh, man. That is just, we're all going to go out to Dairy Queen or something like that, right? <laughs> I don't know over there. There's certain ones that, that you know, you just, oh, that's, that's the favorite status. You know, we'll get out of ice cream area. If you get into a steak area, how many of y'all have a favorite cut of steak? I have a favorite cut of steak. There is one cut of steak that is head and shoulders above every other cut of steak out there. It's also more expensive. It's called, and and it goes by a a bunch of different names. But I know what names it goes by. And when I'm going down the menu, if I came in for steak, that's the one I'm looking for. It will cost me three or four bucks or five bucks more than all the other ones will. But you know what? If I'm going to have steak, I'm going to have the one I want. It comes under Delmonico. It comes under ribeye. And, and, oh, I tell you, they're good. Oh, nothing like it. Now, New York Strip, it's good. T-bone, that's good. They're they're good steaks. I mean, it's steak. How bad can it be for steak, you know? But, oh, man, for me, a ribeye, oh, that is just that is just it. I don't know what the difference is in it, but I know that I can taste a huge difference in it. So we have something that, all right, this is good, this is good, this, oh, but that is really good. That's it. There is a, there's a quality about it. What we have to do, if I want to come into the favored status, is know what does the father like so favor i put it in this way again mercy not receiving what you deserve grace receiving what you don't deserve and favor positioned to receive what god wants to give favor is being is positioned to receive 
what God wants to give. God has stuff. He says, I want to give this to somebody. Whom can I give it to? Who's in the place where I can give this to them? The word of God says, his eye looks to and fro. Seeking whom he... he I'm trying to think of how it works now. I just lost the wording. The eye of the Lord looks to and fro. Seeking whom he may... Um, Oh, I can't think of how it, how it phrased it. Keith, Daryl, you remember? Yeah, I saw your mind's going on it. All right, we'll figure out what that is. But his, he's looking around. What's he looking for? Who has the qualities that we need? Why did Saul get picked to be king? Because of mercy? No. Because of grace? No. Because that would mean the kingship's available to all, right? He got picked to be king because he was... Favored. So what was it about Saul that caused him to be favored? Well, one clue we have is that God said later on through the prophet, he said, when you were small in your own eyes. So we saw that was one thing. God got his attention because he was small in his own eyes. Now he's big in his own eyes. And God, and he went from, you know, it's just kind of like taking chocolate syrup and smearing it all over a a nice, delicious. (laughs) Maybe not for you, but just for for me. He did something and that caused the favor to, to go away. We can look at the things that Saul did that, for the favor to go away. But David caught God's eye. David's looking. David's, or God's looking for something. Oh, there's David. So what is it that, that got David favored? Because David was favored. He got kingship. I'm going to anoint you king. He got favored status for that. It's not something that was available to everybody. And from that point on, it wasn't available to anyone else. David got it. Favorite status. Position to receive what God wants to give. So I got to find out what is it that God wants to give and how do I get in a position to do that? Because there's different favor. There's different things that God wants to do. I'm not, not going to be able to do everything. Not everybody could be king, but somebody else could be a high priest. Someone else could be a king's advisor. Somebody else could be all kinds of other positions that are in a kingdom. Somebody needs to take over the army. Somebody needs to uh, be advisors. Someone needs all kinds of positions to do. Oh, I can do that. Now, how do I get God's attention? How is it that I, I'm looking at what God looks for. What does God need in order for this position to be fulfilled? What does he need me and me? Oh, I'm going to develop those things. I'm going to go out. I'm going to find a way to develop those things. I'm going to get God's attention. When you get God's attention, you get yourself in a position to receive what God wants to give. God desires to give it. My favorite status doesn't cause God to want to give it to me. God wants to give these things, but he's got to find someone to give it to. I got to find someone that I can put in their, this in their hands. So he's looking around for that. What is it? Mercy, not receiving what you deserve. Grace, receiving what you don't deserve. And favor, positioned to receive what God wants to give. I got to get myself in that position. Not everybody will put themselves in that position. Not everybody cares to put themselves in that position. Some people are happy and well satisfied with what grace has supplied for them for their life. I'm going to get into heaven and that's all I need to do. But other people say, that's not, I, I want more than that. Father God, I want to serve you to the best of my ability. Now, what do you need? And God says, this is what I need. All right, I'm going to do what your word says I need to do to become 
attention getting in that position. That you'll see me. You'll notice me. Oh, I'm noticing this one over here. We could put this on them. We can give this to them. Now, Samson's not doing this. Samson is flirting with disaster. He is flirting with sin. He's flirting with sinners. That's not something that's going to get the attention of God. Now, he's already got the anointing that was put on him, but he's not going to come into any kind of a strength of that anointing that it was supposed to be or a purpose that God has for him. But he's going to walk in what, what the grace of God will let him and what the mercy of God keeps him from. I heard somewhere that sinners are leery of Christians who re-enter their world. <laughs> I don't blame them for being leery about Christians who re-enter their world. We shouldn't be re-entering their world. We should be unique. We should be different. What gave a sinner pleasure before when they got born again is not going to give them the same pleasure anymore. The pleasure for that is over. We're not here to ride the fence. We're not here to see how much of the world we can enjoy and how much of God we can get. That's not going to get your favorite status with God. It's not going to get God's attention. What we've got to do is how much of the world can I get out of me and how much for God can I stand up for that's where we need to go. Samson doesn't do this. He never comes to that place. But we need to graduate from mercy into grace and from grace into favor. Amen. Not all Christians make the transition from grace into favor. A lot of them just kind of, well, it's all the same. Mm-hmm. Eh, it's all the same. Grace, favor. Eh. No. Got it up there. All right. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. So there we go. He wants a heart that is loyal. Is Samson loyal? No, Samson is loyal to himself. He is loyal to himself. God wants someone who is loyal to him, which means if you have the opportunity to serve yourself, your needs, your wants, your desires, or serve God, whose do you pick? Pick God. And he's looking all around. Who is the one who is loyal to me? Who is that one who is loyal to me? That's one of the things. You go through the Word of God, you can find all kinds of things. He'll give you all kinds of indications. He won't just tell you, I like vanilla ice cream. He'll say, I like vanilla ice cream with sprinkles. (laughs) I like vanilla ice cream with M&M's, raisin nuts, or I don't know, whatever else he might... Whatever it is, it, certainly God doesn't like chocolate ice cream. <laughs> no, I don't know what kind of ice cream that he likes. But it, what it is, is if you want to get God's attention in the world of ice cream, then you've got to f- get the flavor that he likes. If you want to get God's attention in the area of favor for whatever it is that you're going after, for whatever it is, work that you want to do for the Lord, whatever anointing that you are under, you need to find out, Father God, what is it that's important to you I need to excel in those areas. I need to excel in those qualities. And I need to move into those things. What is it that God wants? If you're going to move in the area of worship, you've got to find out what God wants in the area of worship and not what you're comfortable with. If you're going to move in the area of teaching, you've got to find out what does God want in that area. If you're going to move in the area of evangelism, what does God look for? If you're going to move in the area of health ministry, you've got to find out what does God want. 
want in this area. You're going to go through the Bible and find people that were in health ministry. Find people who were in the worship area. Find people who were teachers. And what was it about their life that set them apart? What was it about their life that distinguished them? Because the qualities that distinguish a prophet are different from the qualities that distinguish a teacher. And those qualities are different than those that distinguish a worship leader. And those qualities are different than those who are in the helps ministry. They're all mindful of different things. But thank God that they're all mindful of the things that they are. If we were all mindful for the same things, we wouldn't be doing each other a whole lot of help. We've got to be mindful of different things for the calling and the purpose that we have. So what is it that will get you favored status in the area that you're in? What is it that God is looking for? Well, Father, we thank you for the help that you give us. We know that there are many things in our life that we don't receive because of the mercy of God. There are things in our life that we do receive because of the grace of God. But we want to move out beyond these things and get into those things that come to a select few, to those who receive the favor of God. But Father, we want to have that favor. Oh, there's all kinds of different levels of favor. There's levels of favor that are available to a broader amount of people. But then there's a higher level that's available to a lesser amount of people. And a higher level above that is available to even a fewer amount. We look at the people in the Word of God. How many Moseses could you have had over the children of Israel? How many Davids could be king at the same time? There are some areas that are very restrictive because of that, you get very selective. Then you're looking for, all right, who understands exactly what I need when I'm looking for here? And we want to, through study of your word, through study of your people that have gone before us, we want to find out what is it that I need to do and pursue the heart of God. We thank you for the help that you give us to do that, that we can not flirt with disaster, but that we can attract the favor of God. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.